So today we talk with Sue, who is the author of The Space Between. We talk about a couple of triggering topics such as rape, suicide, and eating disorders. If that is something that may trigger you, I don't recommend listening. But if this is the conversation that you do want to listen to and gain some value from, then I recommend, of course, listening on. And I hope you enjoy. Hey y'all, welcome back to Mentally a Badass. My name is Justine and I have today, her name is Sue. So she is going to talk about her story, um, like what happened to her as a child, some of the trauma that she went through. She is also is doing so much to help um, break the stigma. Um, she is an author. She also does, I see she speaks at conferences. And then she's also a life coach, which is really cool. And I'm so excited to talk about that. Um, so Sue, thanks again for being on here. Thanks for having me, Justine. I'm looking forward to it. Okay, awesome. So if you like, if you just want to start um, talking about your story, um, such as I believe you mentioned that you were raped as a child, is that correct? Yeah. And before I start, let me give a quick trigger warning, uh, because okay. some of the things that we're going to get into can be triggering for others. So I always want to give a trigger warning. Just mm-hmm. we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about eating disorders. We're going to talk about sexual assault. So if any of those issues are, are, are triggering for the listener, I want to give you the heads up now, give you a minute to either come up with a self-care plan. If you have to turn the recording off and, and, and you know, turn the show off now for now and come back later when you're prepared, that's fine too. Uh, but I always want to get, give that as a heads up and everything. So I don't want to be a, a trigger for anybody else. So, so having, having said that, um, yeah, my story starts when I was in first grade, I was seven years old and a classmate enticed me into the woods on the school grounds and raped me. And Bobby held me against my will for 45 minutes. And um, I didn't know the power his last words to me were going to have. And he he went out the one side and said, don't tell anybody. And again, I didn't know how that was going to hold me captive. But it ended up becoming a 15-year secret for me because I didn't tell anyone until my senior year of college. So by then, the way I – my emotions were frozen in time that day. And the mm-hmm. way I phrase it is that the longer the longer you're in the freezer, the thicker the ice gets. Think yeah. of something you find. Think of something you find that's shoved in the back of your cor- back corner of your freezer for a year, and how thick that frost is. Well, that's yeah. what it was like. My emotions, and I had to I, I, trying to even explain when it came out in a conversation with my dean of students in college. It wasn't expected. I didn't know it wanted to come out, but here's the thing. When there is unresolved trauma in our lives, it will Mm -hmm. find a way out because Mm -hmm. it wants to be heard. It Mm -hmm. needs to be heard and it wants to be healed. And for me, up until I opened up about it, it was coming out in self-destructive ways. I developed Mm -hmm. an eating disorder. I've Mm -hmm. dealt with depression and anxiety. I've been suicidal twice. Mm -hmm. I was a messed up high schooler. I was a messed up college kid. And... I got my value from being seen. So Mm -hmm. I stayed busy because Mm -hmm. if I was seen, I had value. And if I was seen, if I stayed busy, I didn't have to think. And if I didn't have to think, I didn't have to feel. Mm -hmm. And if I didn't have to feel, I didn't have to deal with my stuff. Mm -hmm. So activity became my number. 
and I was yeah. over involved and but and it made it it made it look really good like you know Sue's got it together and Sue's this mm-hmm. campus leader and all this stuff and I was dying on the inside by the time I got to college and it all came to a head in the dining hall one day and you know, I, I did. I, I sat by myself a lot. I was in the sorority my junior and senior years, but I ended up just sitting by myself a lot. And I was mm-hmm. very insecure. And I had by this time, you know, people had the persona that you know, Sue was. And I, I wanted people to believe that Sue was had it all together, and Sue mm-hmm. was was you know ha, w- w- didn't have any issues. Sue was Sue was good. Mm-hmm. So my brain was warped out by this time, and a very natural human response of being hungry for me became another trauma because I would have enjoyed another helping of food, another serving. But mm-hmm. my brain was so warped out. My self-talk was so far off the charts that I was telling myself instead that I can't go get food because people are going to know Sue has a need. And God forbid Sue have a need because then Sue's going to be found out that she's really not the person she's made everybody else need to believe. So I learned to shut off my hunger. And instead of going up for another another serving of food, I dumped my tray and got out of Dodge. And I'd go back to my room and I'd snack instead. I learned to shut off my hunger. So Mm -hmm. I didn't even really call it. I, I would tell people I had odd eating behaviors or mm-hmm. anorexic tendencies, but I never called it an eating disorder until my counselor nailed me on it in, 20, mm-hmm. in 2015, 2015, 2016. Um, that's getting a little ahead of myself. So I, all this is going on. Um, and and I, I, you know, I've, I didn't deal with the rape until 2014, which mm-hmm. sounds crazy. It happened when I was seven years old. I didn't tell anyone until I was 22. And then by the time 2014 rolls are burnt round, you're talking almost 40 years since the event. And I'm finally starting to deal with it and, and, and address it with my counselor. And that was the most gut-wrenching year for me mm-hmm. because I had to own my story. Mm-hmm. Because I was in denial about my story. I didn't like my story. So I figured if I denied it, maybe it made it go away. And it doesn't work that way. Unfortunately, it does not work that way. So when I finally started dealing with it with my counselor, it it stirred up all these emotions that were frozen in time. They all came to life. And emotions are not a friend of someone with an eating disorder. So it became a tornado in my mind. Because I was dealing with something that I had tried to push aside for now four decades. Mm-hmm. And then all the emotions that I were trying, was trying to deny all this time were coming to life as well. And I didn't know how to handle them in a proactive way, in a healthy way. Mm-hmm. And that's when I started dabbling with cutting. Because mm-hmm. I needed some relief for the anguish in my heart that was trying to get out. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know any, any healthy way to deal mm-hmm. with that. So, you know, I've, I've kind of run the gamut of things, but I stand here now on the other side of the healing mountain. You know, when I, when I speak, I tell people that there is no way around the healing mountain. You have to go through it, mm-hmm. but the joy and the peace on the other side, now that I'm on the other side, 
I can tell you it's worth it. But it also helps me fully understand and relate very well to people who are just starting to make the dig. Mm-hmm. But I can I, I want to be that voice of hope for them mm-hmm. to help them dig all the way through. Yeah, I think that's a really uh, amazing inspiring story to hear um, when you first started talking about in the beginning about how you got raped in first grade it just kind of doesn't really process in my mind like how can a like a you said a person in your class so this other person was seven years old as well yep so I'm trying to think just like me thinking human wise and just sex and sexual and such like I, I mean this is me just like wondering like do first graders I don't really even feel like that type of you know what I mean like sexual urge if that makes sense so it's just kind of interesting how a seven-year-old did that's insane right and for the longest time and what I'm about to say may anger some people Mm -hmm. and it may totally shock them and confuse them and I I think others will understand It, it 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 is it I'm at this point now. It did not get there easily. It Mm -hmm. did not get there overnight. And it was painful getting to this point because it meant I had a whole lot of work I had to do on me. Yeah. But I am to the point now where I actually feel compassion for my rapist. And what Mm -hmm. I mean by that is exactly what you just said. At seven in the seventies, rape was not on the radar. It was not something talked about. It was safe to walk to school alone. It was just all the neighborhood kids walked to school. We lived about half, three quarters of a mile. All of us walked alone, you know, walked to school. You saw the sidewalks were just full of kids walking. It Mm -hmm. was normal. So here's the thing. If it wasn't on the radar for me as a seven-year-old, and it was not a topic of conversation, what was Bobby exposed to, or I hope not experiencing, yeah, that exposed him to it? Yeah. Was it, do you feel that what happened to you made it hard for you for like any, you know, future relationships that you had, like romantically? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I was off and on with, with, with the same guy um, in high school. And, 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 and Gary has since passed away, but we were able to talk about it uh, at our 25th reunion, I think it was. We had a chance to talk about it and, and actually apologize to each other because we, we both admitted we were insecure and we used each other for that Social Security to, yeah. again, again, to be seen at the, at the high school dances, you know, to have mm-hmm. that, you know, that, that person you can hold hands with in the hall, that kind mm-hmm. of thing. Um, and, and we were both insecure. So I, I'm thankful we had a chance to have that conversation and um and 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 just be able to to kind of clear the air about it you know he he passed away i think about five six years ago um Mm -hmm. but i'm i'm i was thankful i'm really thankful that we were able to have that conversation yeah and this is you said the person that you're on and off with is that right correct yeah okay gotcha do you um so this person that was your rapist like how was like i can't even imagine like having to see because you know in first grade like I'm the classroom is like usually smaller at least for me when I was in first grade so I honestly like how did how did you get through that you know what I mean like after he you know did that and like how did you manage to like show up to class every day and have to see his face 
That's a good question that no one has ever asked me, and and I'm not sure I know the answer because I don't remember a lot of it. I, I don't remember a lot of time after that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, again, I, I, I actually I, I was going through stuff probably about a couple months ago, and I found my first grade class picture, mm-hmm. and I saw one blonde-haired little boy. I'm thinking that is Bobby. Yeah, how how it got through that, I don't know. I honestly don't know. Um, now, probably only by the grace of God. But um, yeah. you know, and, and again, I, I I don't know. I don't have an answer for that. I haven't. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I really, I really don't know how to answer that. Yeah, no worries. I mean, I definitely understand if it was a very long time. It's very hard to kind of like um, think back and how how you you know felt during that time frame. And I like I like I said, I can't even like think like what even goes through that kid's head, you know, when it comes to thinking like that. And honestly, there's a chance like he could have learned it at home, you know. Right. And and it's just it's just I was also reading that you in one of your book in your book there was a title. That said, oh, I had it right in front of me, but I think it had to do with like people, like people hurt people. I forgot what it said. It was a chapter, I think. It's the very first line of the book, and it says they were hurt people hurting their kids. Uh, yeah, and like that is, and I, I'm a big believer that's like hurt, like hurt people hurt people. Like it's just, mm-hmm. it's just a very toxic cycle, right. and and honestly, like. The, it's so unfortunate about what happened to you and it's just crazy how that was like like the way your metaphor was saying I like with the whole ice and such like the way I the way I mean it's the same concept but for me it's like when you have a secret that you hold for so long it gets heavier each like mm-hmm. as time goes on which is yep. pretty much the same thing that you said <laughs> um yep. and I like honestly like truly believe that like I like once I like talk about my trauma and like, you know, be open about it, like that's when I feel better. And then like, you know, it helps people what you're doing. Um, when did you start like basically deciding like, Hey, I want to help other people and start do and start doing what, like, like, you know, your book and the conferences that you do, like, like when did you decide to start doing that? Uh, that probably started, <laughs> I think about about 20, the, the book started in 2015 and, and, and to give a little backstory mm-hmm. and the, the, the whole healing part that had to happen before the book could happen, before the speaking could happen, mm-hmm. started as a result of a movie. There, there's a movie that came out in 2014 called A Ragamuffin, and it's, mm-hmm. it's based on the life of the late Rich Mullins, a big Christian musician. And it talks about you know, relationships with your parents and the reckless love of God and uh, reckless abandon in your faith and the masks that we wear, you know, the, the, and I'm not talking mm-hmm. COVID masks. I'm talking, I'm talking about the masks that we wear to make other people think we, we are someone we are not the masks that we wear based on insecurity. So it's a movie talks about all that. And later in the year, the, the movie producer and the family and friends of Rich who were involved in the movie decided to do a retreat based on the themes of the movie. And I attended that retreat and I went into that retreat imploding. I, I, it was, it was when we were dealing with the rape, it was 2014, we were dealing with the rape and, and I was a mess. And I went in calling myself the holy exception. 
believing that, telling myself that everything in the Bible was good enough for everybody else but me. I was too mm-hmm. screwed up, too far gone. I was a waste of time and God couldn't use me. Okay. And one of, the, one of the team members has since told me that me going to that retreat was kind of like a Hail Mary to to yeah. dare to, to take that step of, of wondering, could God really love me? And could his kids really, was I lovable? After mm-hmm. everything that damaged me, was I lovable? Mm-hmm. Because I didn't think I was. And I yeah. left that retreat three days later saying and starting to believe for the first time that Jesus Christ is absolutely crazy about me. And he mm-hmm. not only loves me, he likes me. Yeah. And there's a big difference there. And that started the whole process of starting to heal. So how, how the book and the speaking came about started there because then the next year I started writing the book. Because mm-hmm. I started when I, I, it started out with one concept and kind of took a different turn to become more of my story. And at first it kind of became uh, cathartic and, mm-hmm. and just starting to share some of the stuff that I was the, starting to process through my brain. And yeah. then as as I healed, uh, the book came on, took on a different turn. But then from that, what, what also started happening was that I went into recovery from an eating disorder in 2016. And Thanksgiving that, and, and that was the hard year because, you know, um, we're dealing with the rape, we're dealing with the emotions. And then I go into recovery for eating disorder. And now I have to start making, you know, having to start eating. And eating's been, my food's been my enemy. So mm-hmm. I have all this going on. And Thanksgiving that year was really hard. And mm-hmm. I found myself struggling here, but I'm also part of an online community called Beating Eating Disorders. And mm-hmm. I was on there and I found myself encouraging others. And then yeah. I started realizing, you know, it, it, it's, it's this, my, my company name is My Step Ahead. And, and, and the slogan line is, you only have to be a step ahead to help the person mm-hmm. behind you. 100%. And so as I, as I started, give, started helping others, then there an opportunity came up to speak at a local high school at their health class and, and talk about eating disorders. And they were doing that unit on eating disorders. And that mm-hmm. has maintained. And then I started speaking at state level conferences for Ohio College Personnel Association. And now last year and this year, I'm presenting at a, a virtual, at, at an online national conference called it the, the Annual Conference on Advancing School Mental Health. And that's hosted mm-hmm. by the College of Medicine from University of Maryland. So I, there have been so many opportunities since, you know, speak at campuses and, and high school classes and conferences and do a whole lot of podcasts. And I'm a mm-hmm. life coach now and I've got the book out. So you know, there's been a whole lot of things that have happened. But it all started because I dared to trust and take the risk and pick up the phone and ask for help. Yeah. And that's definitely the first step. Well, the first step is to realize, okay, there's something that's wrong. And then second's like, okay, you know, I need help. And then, Mm -hmm. you know, doing that reach out and getting that help. And then once you work on yourself and go to therapy and, you know, be treated for what, you know, is going on up, you know, in your head and such and being relieved from that, you know, that trauma that you've been holding on for all these for all these decades, then you decide, this is what I want to do. I want to be able to help break the stigma, because, mm-hmm. you know, there's still a huge stigma around mental health. And right. I feel that, you know, it's being talked about more, um, mm-hmm. especially like, you know, with COVID people, who didn't have who who were very lucky that didn't have to struggle, you know, with their mental health started struggling with their mental health because they had because of COVID, 
then they right. had to like stay home and they started turning lonely and started getting anxiety and depression. Then they started feeling it and started understanding like, oh, wow, this is what people who the unlucky people who got traumatized as a child and like this is what they feel. And now it's being more spoken about mm-hmm. on like, you know, social media and just overall. But, you know, there's still some people out there who still don't get it, which is super unfortunate that that people like don't understand that I'm a big believer that. Your brain is everything, you know? If you're not taking care of your brain, everything else just falls apart. And I'm because like think about it, like your personality goes from there. You're also even even physically. Like if people don't have good mental health, they're more likely to also have bad physical health. Which is another thing. Right. And and for me, that's where the eating disorder came in came in. Mm-hmm. Because I was not giving my body what it needed. And I'm going to get on a soapbox here for a minute Mm -hmm. because some of the dieting is pre eating disorder behavior because it's based on restriction. Mm -hmm. And, and and I, I know, you know, eating disorders are biologically based mental Mm -hmm. health issue. They are Mm -hmm. also one of the deadliest of mental health struggles. Yeah. I believe they're number two behind opioid addiction, not only mm-hmm. because of the damage you do to your body, but also because of the suicide associated with the anxiety and the depression that comes with it. And mm-hmm. a lot of, and I'm not saying all of it, but there is a, a, a biological base because you're, the only way to put it for me is fats are the only thing that give you the sensation of being full. Protein mm-hmm. is the only thing that will rebuild your body strength and your muscle. And mm-hmm. carbs are the only thing that will give your brain energy. So it, our body is designed to need all three of them. So when right. we go on a low carb diet or keto or low fat or whatever else, yeah, we are denying our body what it is designed to need. So therefore, we are already setting ourselves, setting our body up to not function in its optimum uh, capability and instead learning to eat in a balanced setting of all three nutrient groups Mm -hmm. the macronutrients eating a balanced ongoing consistent balance Mm -hmm. and yes that means starting to look at serving sizes on a label and that means starting to make sure that you're getting that balance Mm -hmm. so when when we're we're denying our body carbs we're denying our brain energy. So what I ended up doing when I first started with my dietitian and having to learn to eat, and that sounds weird, but when you've been snacking and not giving your body what it needs, you have to relearn. Everything I just said is what I had to learn. Yeah. And I've learned it now where it's becoming more intuitive. But I still remember the day at the office when I was getting some food. And, and for me, one of my red flags when I know my eating disorder is trying to talk to me too much is when I look in the fridge and I get overwhelmed and I can't make a food choice and I just shut the door. I'm like, screw it. I'll just, I'll just snack. That's a huge red flag for me. And, and I, I wanted, I found myself getting ready to do that at work one day. And I remember saying, Ed, shut up. One of the things we learned and I've learned with my dietitian is when we give our eating disorder a name, it helps mm-hmm. separate it from us. I am not my eating disorder. Mm-hmm. So I named my eating disorder Ed. 
and I would and not real loud for others to hear, but I would say literally out loud, I'm sitting at the little kitchen at work, I'm like, Ed, shut up. <laughs> and, 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 and and I didn't, and then I, but then it wasn't enough for that. Then I had to make the exact choice, opposite choice of what Ed was telling me to do. Mm-hmm. And that's the general rule of, of recovery with an eating disorder. Do whatever the opposite is of your eating, your eating disorder is telling you to do. Whatever it's telling you to do, do the opposite. But it's hard. So anyway, but I'm standing there and one day I just, my brain just started, it's like it separated. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like the fog just started to clear. And I remember the day where my brain started thinking more clearly because it was getting consistently what it needed. Mm-hmm. Now, that also meant as I first started in recovery, and my body had to, had to learn to trust me because mm-hmm. it had, I had not been treating it well for decades. Mm-hmm. So when I started giving it the proper nutrients that it needed, yes, I, my body kind of hoarded onto that a little bit. It stored a little extra fat. And I remember mm-hmm. dealing, dealing with my dietitian, like, I'm feeling pudgy in the middle here. I'm not liking this, you know? Mm-hmm. And then, and, and, and we worked through it though, because yeah. what happened, what happened is because my body was getting what it needed. So it was latching onto it when it had it. Right. Because, because it didn't know how long it was going to have it. So while yeah. I had my, while my body reacted that way and I saw a response to it, at the same time, the more I stuck with it and was consistent with it, mm-hmm. then that leveled off because my body learned to trust me. So mm-hmm. when people go on diets and they say, oh, I got this great response, you know, and then a month later, man, it came back. Yeah, because your body doesn't yeah. trust you. Yeah. Because you've, you've proven to your body that it cannot trust you. Mm-hmm. So I have a real issue with diet culture. I have yeah, a real issue with too. anything around that too, because yeah. it's not based on the proper science of nutrition for your body. Yeah, I, I completely 100% agree with you on that. I feel like the word diet is very toxic. I mm-hmm. believe that, yeah, people go on these, like the old way of thinking, let's go on a diet and like, you know, limit the amount of calories and this and that. And, um, and then then they are like, okay, I'm finishing my diet. And then they just do the same thing all over again. And then it's like a very vicious cycle. And I just believe that you, I completely agree with you. Honestly, at the end of the day, it's all about the nutrition and what you're feeding your body. It's not Mm -hmm. about limiting the amount of calories. And it is very, you know, traumatizing to your body. If you decide, Mm -hmm. oh, let me just not like eat as much anymore. And then it's just confused. And then Mm -hmm. like, that's like super unhealthy. And then, um, and also like, I just believe, I don't believe in diets. I believe in a nice, healthy lifestyle because when you have a healthy lifestyle and don't eat like all this, like processed like food and trans fat and such, like then your body, your body is going to like if lose, like, how can I explain this? Your body is going to give you what you want if you mm-hmm. take that route and it's more better long-term than doing a hardcore diet. And then having and then reaching that goal and stopping the diet. And then it just comes back and people are wondering like, oh, why did I gain the weight again? It's because right. you're not being consistent. You're just mm-hmm. following this bullshit of a diet that <laughs> is not teaching you any discipline or how to properly eat. And then right. so like that's like it's so toxic where it's like every new every like new year, oh, I'm gonna lose weight. I'm gonna go on this diet. Like it's like shut up. Like <laughs> I'm getting very mm-hmm. passionate right now. And honestly, it's like I completely 100% agree with you. And like, 
I, I mean, I'm very big on like nutrition and like eating healthy because I mean, I've, I, I've had like, um, not, I haven't had an eating disorder, but I've had a lot of like issues with like my stomach and just like, you know, certain things like that, for example, Mm -hmm. and I would get sick very easily and such. So I do everything that I can in my power to stay healthy, you know, when Mm -hmm. I'm having access to those organic foods and, you know, making easy choices and, you know, spending a little bit more money, like for, I know a lot of people spend, like spend less money and they get like, you know, the highly processed food versus like spending an extra, like couple of dollars, for example, to get the organic, I rather spend the extra couple of dollars and get the organic than save the $2 and get like, the stuff that has all these like chemicals and words I can't even pronounce. You know what I mean? Here's the cool thing is that, um, you know, with, with being in eating disorder recovery and, and learning how to eat balanced, I can eat whatever I want. There's nothing, there's nothing I can't have. Yeah. Pizza pizza used to be what they call a fear food for me because Mm -hmm. once I went into recovery, I was deathly afraid if I ate pizza, I was going to gain weight. Well, that's kind of one, that's one of the purposes of recovery, first of all, but I I had to get past that. Mm -hmm. So, and and what I've learned and and, and I eat pizza without thinking about it now. And there was a long day where I was like, I wish I could do that. Um, but, But what I've learned is that two servings of pizza, two slices of pizza, is a normal serving. And mm-hmm. pizza is actually one of the healthiest things you can eat. It's I got the that, carbs, yeah. it's got the fats, it's got the protein. You've got yeah. the protein in the cheese, you've got the protein in your meat, whatever meat you put on it. Right. You've got the carb, the carbs and the in, in, the carbs and the fat in the crust and in the cheese. So it really is pizza is a balanced meal. It is. I just yeah. I just had it Friday. You yeah, know, it really is balanced. Now you inspired but, me. <laughs> yeah, but, but here's the other thing, and this is just something in the last month or so that I've gone through, is that I noticed I, you know, I went to the doctor, you know, and and I used to have two scales in the house, and one day, you know, I it was gotten to the point I was checking my weight a number of times a day, and I told my dietitian, she's like, bring the scales next time, I I I, I want your scales, and 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 you know, I almost didn't bring them, and I told her that, she said. Sue, if you hadn't had them, I would have said, then we're not having a session. Don't come back until you bring them. Mm-hmm. And, and it, but because I had to break that bond to them. Mm-hmm. And now I, I don't, I don't think about my weight. I never thought I would, yeah. but, but here's the thing. So when I go to the doctor though, you know, they weigh you and, and I'm, I'm to the point now, some people can't, you know, aren't to this point and that's fine. For me, I'm to the point, I'm kind of curious, just, you know, I, I know I feel fine. I feel strong. I feel solid. That was one one change is that I felt solid instead of hollow as I started to eat. Mm-hmm. My my clothes is fine. Every person, their body has what they call a set weight. And we don't yeah. know what it is, but it, it's 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 the natural setting where based on your on your biology and your DNA and your bone structure, where your body is at its optimum point where it can be healthy for you, carry your weight, support your joints, and let you do what you want it to do, where your body yes. will take care of you because you have taken care of it. Exactly. So if you had if you had told me a while ago my set weight is where it is, I would have laughed you off the face of the earth because I, <laughs> I, I I didn't there's no way. So anyway about I don't know when I went to went to the doctor earlier this year, like it was, you know, more than what it normally was and 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 i'm intentionally not saying numbers and you and i talked before the show yeah that that i will there are two things i will not discuss 
And those are my ranges of weight mm-hmm. because that is triggering. Numbers can be yeah. triggering and I will mm-hmm. not be part of triggering anybody. But exactly. what I can say, you know, what I can say though, is that it was more than what it had been a year ago. And I'm like, that can't be right. And, you know, I'm like, no, I'm protesting and everything. So I'm like, oh, I talked to my dietitian, <laughs> my counselor about it. And, and, and my dietitian said, said, you know, we, we were talking about, you know, about, about it. And, and she said, I'm not opposed to you, you know, checking somewhere else. Cause when I saw her in person, you know, she would, she would, you know, check me, you know, check the weight and everything to make sure it was stable. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and, and I, we always did it blind. I never knew what it was. So, um, so anyway, so we, we ended up, you know, Sam's club had something. So I went, I went there and everything and it ended up being the same amount. I was like, okay, well maybe there's something to this. So I talked through my dietitian and everybody and, and my counselor, cause I was a little, I wasn't freaking out, but I was just like, mm, not sure I'm liking this, mm-hmm. but I don't feel any heavier. Well, I had just been through PT for my knee. So what we decided and my dietitian quickly said was, well, Sue here, I'm not concerned about it because you, you, you say you feel healthy. You look fine every time I see you, you know, there's no other changes or anything. She's like, and you just did PT. And I think you put on muscle weight. Yeah. And, and, and muscle weight is more dense than fat. Mm-hmm. And, but, and, and it, but it doesn't, it, it weighs more, but it doesn't, but it doesn't take up as much space as fat. So I gained the weight because I put on muscle mm-hmm. and that took a little bit to wrap around my head. And what was funny is that when I was at my checkup for my doctor, you know, she's checking my weight and she's like, and I could tell to my dietitian later, I started laughing. I said, so I'm talking to my dietitian about it, you know, and I'm at my doctor appointment and the doctor's kind of like, you know, looking at it and she's kind of, I can tell she's scratching her head. I, I was laughing about it with my dietitian, my counselor and said, I could tell she was in her mind. She was starting to think BMI. And I said, I was thinking, don't even go there because I don't want to have to school you. <laughs> so, and, my, and my dietitian, my counselor just start laughing. They're like, yes, please. No, <laughs> you know, because BMI is not an indicator of health. Oh, yeah. Body body mass index is not an indicator of health because it doesn't take into consideration what you and I were just talking about. Yeah. It does not take 100%. into consideration muscle mass. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because we were, we were talking about we were talking about, you know, nutrition and, you know, neutralizing your body and such, which is like mm-hmm. different from like weight, because I mean, you're right, like you can have a certain weight. But like it cannot be like, you know, fat can be like muscle and like people like, you know, when they have muscle that puts on, you know, weight and it's like it's, you know, it's healthy. So I, I totally, you know, get where you're coming from there. So. All right, Sue. So I'm going to be closing off on this conversation that we're having. And one last thing I always like to ask my guests is a piece of advice um, that you like to provide um, my listeners here based off of everything that we spoke about today. Yeah, you know, I'm a master certified life coach, which means I get to help people take their next step uh, yeah. to see their dreams re- become reality for them to start seeing that 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 there is hope. I said earlier, I want to be a voice of hope for others. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I, I I speak. My my book won an award, so I'm an award winning author. Awesome. Uh, yeah, it's cool. so it's, it's my, my having first... said all that about you know, having said all that, my message to others is the message of my book. Mm-hmm. And it's simply twofold. It's it's okay. It's not to be okay. It's okay to not be okay, because we try to make people think that we have it all together. Mm-hmm. And honestly, every person walking across the face of the earth is broken and hurting in some way. Yeah. And it's and it's time to stop playing the game, 
Because when we try to make someone else believe we're someone we're not, mm-hmm. we're really trying to convince ourselves. And when yeah. we lie to ourselves, we become disingenuous. So that's the first thing is it's okay to not be okay. The other yeah. half is this other message. And it's simply that you only have to be a step ahead to help the person behind you. Mm-hmm. My business name is My Step Ahead. Everything mm-hmm. I do is under that because that's what I'm about as a voice of hope is to help people realize they only need to be a step ahead. You don't have to have it all figured out to be helpful to somebody else. Exactly. You don't have to have it all figured out before you feel like you can make a difference. You make a difference simply by sharing with somebody else your story as it relate you know, as it relates to something they're going through because you then become a voice of hope to them. Yeah. That's what I'm about. That's what my step ahead is about. That's mm-hmm. what my book is about. And if, and if there's something that I can do to help any of your listeners, I give a 15 minute free consultation for life coaching mm-hmm. or for speaking. So mm-hmm. if you're in need of a speaker, be it virtual or in person, mm-hmm. if you're thinking maybe life coaching may help you. I'd be yeah. happy. I'd be thrilled to, to speak with you. Mm-hmm. You can go to my website, which is suebowles.com. It's mm-hmm. S-U-E-B-O-W-L-E-S.com. And, and, and Justine will have it in the show notes. There's mm-hmm. a form right there. Just fill that out. I will be in touch with you. We'll set up a phone call and see how I can help you take your next step. Perfect. I love that. And also for the listeners, she does also want to promote that book as well. By the way, I just ordered it. (laughs) Excited to read it. It is called This Much I Know, The Space Between. So I'll leave that link. I bought it off Amazon. I love Amazon. Amazon's great. (laughs) Um, (laughs) um, But yeah, I hope you guys really enjoyed this conversation. I felt it had so much value. And Sue, thanks so much again for being on this. I I really do appreciate, you know, the knowledge that you provided here on this episode. I appreciate your time, Justine. And I'm always happy to come back again. All right. Perfect. And then for my listeners, stay tuned. I'll be talking about the next episode. But all right so next week we're going to be talking with my roommate laura she's going to talk about how she handles um having her dreams almost coming true to it being taken away it's a very upsetting situation but she gives us great advice you know keep moving forward hope you enjoy